Assalamu alaikum. Peace and blessings. Welcome to the Corporate Majlis Podcast, where we chat with successful Muslims and learn about their journey in the corporate world. I'm your host, Ali, and each week I have a guest from the Muslim community. We discuss their successes, their challenges, and a lot more. In today's episode, I had a chat with Adnan Husseini. He went to law school and worked hard to get his foot in the door with top-tier law firms before changing track and moving into a commercial role as an infrastructure funds manager. Yeah, so my story is probably a little bit more conventional than the other guests you've interviewed to date. Um, I decided to pursue a study of law um, after high school. The big reason for that is that I would have been the fourth generation lawyer in my family. So, you know, you could say it was in the blood a little bit. And there was, um, as my dad would probably not want to admit that there was some undue influence there. But uh, I think hearing the stories that both him and my grandfather used to talk about always wanted me, like drove me to pursue a career in the legal field um, and kind of replicate some of the stuff they've done, some of their successes. Um, and that really motivated me to um, pursue law as a career. And I, and I loved it. I you know, was thoroughly involved throughout my university days in you know, mooting competitions, negotiation competitions. Um, and I did pretty well in those Um, as well as sort of focusing really hard on my studies to give myself the best chance of an opportunity to land a job um, at a a sort of corporate law firm. Um, Having completed my degree, I was lucky enough to get a job at an international top-tier law firm um, and pursue a career sort of in the private equity space with a big sort of M&A focus. It was a great opportunity for me because... It allowed me to work in an area that I found really engaging um, and across multiple jurisdictions. So I you know, spent the majority of my career in Sydney, but I also worked in Hong Kong for a period of a few months and also got an opportunity to go on secondment to Amsterdam. Um, as I progressed in my career, I started to realize that there's a lot of things that I want to do that are more commercial and less legal. Um, and what I really struggled with and what a lot of my friends really struggled with that are in the legal industry is how do you make the leap from being a lawyer to being a commercial person? And to be honest, I probably didn't put as much effort in because I just didn't see a clear path to giving myself that opportunity. And what ended up happening was I thought, I may as well go to London, take the well-trodden path of Australian lawyers and uh, just work there for a few years, travel, uh, slightly better pay, um, and then come home and then you know figure out my life following that sort of stint and you know I was lucky enough to get a job at a UK law firm Um, and I you know I sort of accepted it with a heavy heart knowing that you know I've done some international stints but I'll be leaving my parents and my family my friends for a longer period of time this time than sort of the few months Um, and then on the Monday after I accepted it on the Friday I got a call from a random recruiter saying I've got a role at an infrastructure fund in capital raising couldn't really explain to me what it was and I don't think I fully understood what it was um, but Alhamdulillah had a crack at the interviews um, I think there was about six all up um, and managed to like land the role and have never looked back since um, best thing that's ever happened to me and I think a big part of that I attribute to my parents to us to be honest um, they, as soon as I accepted a London offer, were very supportive, but I knew deep down that they kind of wanted me to stay. Um, 
and I, I know that they made lots of dua and I, I genuinely believe that it was people's dua and support for me that allowed that opportunity to pretty much come out of the blue um, and has been the greatest blessing that's happened to me, um, both from a career perspective, but big sliding doors moment for me as well, because had I gone to London, I wouldn't have met my wife. Um, and now I've been married for a year and it's been like an amazing journey so far. So that that's sort of been my journey to, to date. What is infrastructure fund management? Infrastructure fund management is really, a, to make it as simple as possible, it's about investing people's money in ideas that matter. And that's really my company's philosophy. So it can be as simple as buying land, putting up a wind farm, and sort of ranges on the spectrum to sort of purchasing airport assets, making operational improvements. Our typical clients tend to be superannuation funds, sovereign wealth funds, and really what they're trying to do is grow Australia and sort of the global infrastructure that's available to try and help society um, as much as possible. So one thing that our company does and a lot of fund managers are starting to do is really focus on ESG, which is environmental social governance, and that's trying to invest in businesses that are going to make a difference to society. So there's, you know, it can be simple as better energy efficiency outcomes, less reliance on coal and other harmful chemicals for the environment. Sort of the products that we invest in, there's no at all any kind of investments in alcohol or gambling. Um, and we're trying to look at sort of broadening our client base by doing some Sharia compliant investments. And so my role within this business is really to talk to clients trying to understand what kind of businesses and assets they want to invest in and try and develop product ideas that will allow them to invest in businesses and assets that they think their underlying investors want. And typically the underlying investors will be URI. Like I know some of my superannuation money is invested in some of the products that we invest in. And I imagine a lot of other people's superannuation money is invested in these types of assets. So we try to manage that to make sure that there is the sort of growth component there so that everyone is getting good good return. Can I, as an individual, be your client? Whilst we probably want to open up our investor base to deal with individuals, um, I don't think we're, as our company, is geared up to do so. Um, so typically what our clients tend to be, the superannuation funds, government sovereign wealth funds. So that could be the Australian government pension schemes. That could be like the Abu Dhabi pension schemes. Um, and what we're trying to do is get a broader base. So we've got a bunch of high net worth aggregators who can take capital from a bunch of rich people, um, combine it into a big investment, and then invest it with us. Our typical sort of investment minimums are about 10 million, give or take. What qualifications do I require to get into the funds industry? I think it starts from a young age. So it starts in your university days. Um, one of the big lessons that I took from my dad early on was to try and get relevant sort of work experience in the industry that you want to go into. So for me, it was like at that time, I really wanted to be a lawyer. So it was a case of cold emailing, cold calling um, various law firms and asking for them to give me an opportunity to work for them, even if it was for free, just to get a little bit of experience on my CV. Um, 
that would hopefully open up doors to get into bigger firms or do the kind of work that I wanted to do. Um, so I, I did that. I, I, I used to send out my CVs to law firm HR departments on a regular basis with you know an updated CV, updated transcript, um, and a cover letter that I would tailor to that particular firm to really show why I wanted to work there. That was really critical for me. I did some roles that I didn't particularly want to do at some of these places. Like one of the hardest ones was working for a company that was um, a defendant against people that had asbestos poisoning. So they had admitted liability and my role was to try to find stuff in their medical history, such as smoking, to try to lower the payment. Um, And genuinely, I did that for a month and a half and I was like, I can't. I can't look at, I can't, as I can't sleep at night doing this sort of thing. So, but, but through all of that and emailing lots of people, I was lucky enough to get an interview at another company that landed me a role in a more com- corporate capacity. So I think one, it's really about um, expanding your networks and it's much easier now because we've got LinkedIn and everyone's sort of roles and titles are freely available. So I would highly recommend reaching out to people who work in the kind of roles that you're interested in, asking them to have a coffee, and then just getting to know what they do so that you have an understanding of whether that's something you want to do. I think what you'll find is when you reach out and you're genuine, people will make the effort to have the coffee with you. And what I've found is people love talking about themselves. And so often it's just a case of listening to their stories um, and and building that rapport because when the time comes and they're looking to hire someone, they will instantly think of you. They'll go, hey, I met a lovely um, young man, young woman who had real enthusiasm and a genuine passion for this type of opportunity. I know them. I've connected with them. They're the people that we should reach out to and have give them an opportunity to be successful. So I, I think that, that opportunity really exists. The second thing I think is and I wish someone had told me this on my first day of university, but unfortunately grades really do matter, Um, particularly in the kind of industry I am in. A lot of these companies unfortunately have like a a wham screener. So if your average marks are below a certain amount, your application just doesn't even get considered. So it really is like worth putting in the effort at university to give yourself the best possible opportunity um, and what benefited me greatly was I found a like-minded group of people that wanted a similar sort of outcome. We were, were friends, but we sort of pushed each other together and we we drove each other to be better. And I think that was an integral component of our collective successes and each of our individual successes, I think, was heavily influenced by one another. Um and I found that that network, even to this day, has been very, very critical. Um, and one other tip that I found really useful is um, a few of our developing sort of a support group. So whether that's Islamically, whether that's professionally, we sort of have I sort of been lucky enough to have kind of both of those. Um, and we try to meet. We probably haven't met as much during the COVID period, but. Sort of pre-COVID, we certainly, it was kind of an every six-week thing. And so from a career perspective, it was literally sit down, bring a gift to the group. So the gift is something that 
um, you think will benefit the wider group to have knowledge of. It can be as something as simple as, hey, I have a problem, let's work it out together. And having five people from different walks of life who have had different experiences in their you know, five, six years of professional experience providing you different ideas goes a long way and helps you take that step back if you're facing a problem. So having that support around you um, makes it so much easier to progress professionally. And likewise, I think spiritually, um, a similar sort of group where you push each other to grow, to continue on the path that each person is taking individually, um, I think is it, it helps you go a long way um, in your in your journey towards Allah Subhanahu wa Taala as well as professionally. Sounds like a cult. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. That's 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 definitely fair. So let's say if I did an engineering degree, do you think I could potentially? get into your line of work? I think so. I think the, the majority of what we do is really about relationship management. So there'd be a certain amount of upskilling in terms of understanding sort of the financial jargon and an understanding of the industry. But I think that's very much something you can learn on the job. So I would, I, I would highly recommend people to get involved as long as they enjoy the aspect of talking to people, building relationships, building connections, that's the kind of people that would be successful in this kind of role. You mentioned when you started, you'd send your resumes in cover letters. Are cover letters still relevant? I personally think that if I got a CV with a good cover letter, that someone had spent half an hour, an hour, putting the effort to research the company I work at, the stuff we've done, it goes a long way to differentiating you. So in the graduate applications, um, you've got to be, you've got to remember that people are reading 600, 700, 1,000 of these, right? And a lot of the time, it's the same cookie cutter stuff that everyone has got. So if you've spent that half an hour to an hour researching the company, seeing you know what they've done recently and being able to clearly articulate what why you want to work there, I think goes a long way to having your application be well received. And it can compensate potentially for you know lower marks or lack of work experience. That enthusiasm and that effort to go that little bit further than most other people will go a long way. Personally, I hate covers. <laughs> I, I, hate I hated writing them, them as I well. I hate doing them. I just... Yeah. I had to change one paragraph in mine and used to take an hour to do. <laughs> and, and the worst thing is for every job, you have to do a new one. Yeah. You can't even just have the same one that you can copy paste. It has to be a different one, personalized, tailored to that specific job. Absolutely. I think as you get more senior, you probably know as well that it's obviously less relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, your work experience sort of speaks for itself. And often you probably get approached to join companies because you've got the requisite level of experience. But I think early days, it's, it's one of those things that, really can show your show you as a different person to other people walk me through a typical day i think to do that i'd say i'd take a step back and talk from a high level what our overarching aims are and really it's about making clients happy so the most important thing is understanding what are a client's objectives what do they hope to achieve what sort of investments they want to make. And then it's really about trying to design a product 
that fits their needs um, and then talking to them about it and seeing you know what they like about this particular product what they don't like so that once you've got the product in place then really it's about trying to convince them that this is the place where they should invest their money and often the money of underlying mums and dads um, to ensure that they get a good return so basically my retirement money is in your hands pretty much pretty much <laughs> one aspect of it yeah for sure what kind of challenges do you face as a muslim within the industry it's getting better for muslim people but i think the big challenge that i foresaw in this role was because it was a big client facing role my big concerns coming into it was i think there's going to be an expectation of taking clients out for dinner and then naturally that involves often for people in the industry having alcohol mm. so my it was one of my concerns and i didn't want to be the person that got the job and then was like oh actually hey i don't drink therefore and they might see that as a slight on me for not being upfront. So I spoke to a friend and he suggested that I raise it in the interview process and make it clear that this is something I fundamentally believe in. And if this is a critical element of the role, then I'm probably not the right person to take that forward. So I was really upfront with pretty much everyone I met through the interview process to kind of explain my position. And what I found refreshingly great was how assured and respectful everyone was of um, my principles and what I wanted to do. And at no point did they say, you can't be successful in this role just because you don't drink alcohol. Mm. So that was quite reassuring for me, knowing that, hey, as long as I have sort of the necessary skill set and the desire to be successful in this, then the opportunity does exist. Um, so that, 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 I think that was like the, the critical challenge in this particular in this particular role, like taking a step back, I think the big thing as I started my career in terms of challenge was really getting comfortable with my identity. Um, I think, you know, for most people growing up here, you kind of have this dual identity almost at times where, you know, you, you want to fit in like with the broader society, but, you know, you also have your Islamic values and your Islamic principles. And at times there's like a very clear conflict. And, it's not the easiest thing to sort of navigate that process. So when I started my career, um, the people I started with, my graduate intake, that you know, you, they're your sort of closest confidants. They're your friends that sort of help you through the dark times. Um, a big sort of bonding period for them was like dinners and Friday night drinks to sort of like release steam or, or, or whatever. So the hardest part was get, getting myself comfortable that I can go into these environments, still respect my values, my principles, um, and then knowing when the right time was to still bond with them and then call it like a night and go home. So that I thought was a big challenge. And then really was the next thing was like knowing that I needed to pray every day and having the confidence to say, give me the opportunity to do so. Um, so I think it genuinely took me maybe six months to six to nine months to get the confidence to say, ask someone, hey, is there a room that I could pray in? Before I just like see if a meeting room is empty. And then if I needed to pray, I'd just go and sort of sneak in there and do it. And then I realized to myself, hey, this is not what I need to be doing. I really should just be asking someone. And most people would facilitate that. And that was great. At um, my previous company, they did offer me like a, they just pretty much say, get a meeting room 
tell the reception and then reception would make sure no one sort of went into into that meeting room um, and that worked well when i joined my new company um they had a very expanding business and not enough meeting rooms so even though i would still use a meeting room it was harder to um, get availability at certain points in time throughout the day um, but we recently moved offices and as part of the design and consulting phase the sydney office manager came up to me and said hey I know you've been using the meeting rooms. I think we should try and get you a dedicated space that we can sort of call a multi sort of purpose space. Um, and what they actually ended up doing was building a room in this brand new, like fantastic premises that we have that has a lock. It's right next to the disabled toilet. So it's easy to do with you. Um, you come in, there's like a space to keep like my giant mask. You can pray. Um, people take phone calls. It's It's whoever's in there can use it but it's almost like my own little space at times. So I think having the courage, and it took me time to get the courage to do so, but having the courage to do it was a was a big challenge, but something that having done so, I realized that people in Australia particularly are very open to helping you um, attain, like maintain your religious beliefs and will facilitate this if you ask. I think the challenge is getting the confidence to ask. Are there fair few muslims within your organization or are you the only one i'm the only one like we have a sort of company offsite at the end of every year where it's mandatory and we sort of go away to whether it be to queenstown or gold coast wherever we go um and yeah it's it's just me so i think a lot of people have worked with muslim people before and there's a lot of young people who completely have muslim friends they completely understand um but definitely some of the more senior people it's it's, it's new to them for sure you know, there was a joke that I once heard. Um, I can't remember who the comedian was. He said whenever he saw another brown person, he got the butterflies. Because like, wait, I thought I was, the, I was the only one brown person here. Now there's you as well. I kind of have that when I see another Muslim. I'm like, I thought I was the only Muslim here. Now there's like another praying buddy. Hey, let's go for Juma together. I, I, I John, who's our like some Sydney office manager, was like, hey, this is a great marketing because we can actually, when we hire more diverse people, we can say, hey, we have a prayer room for you to uh, complete your prayers. So I think it's good. I think it's important for um, our society to see that all of us are in this together. We're all we're all in this company trying to achieve an aim. But we come from different walks of life. We have different beliefs, but that doesn't impact our sort of shared vision and shared goal. So from that, and, and diversity gives thought, right? You have diversity of thoughts, diversity of ideas through different experiences that different people have had growing up. So from that perspective, it's, I think it's critical for a business like ours that wants people to challenge the sort of status quo um, and come up with new ideas where we see opportunities to improve the market. Mashallah, you're successful, right? Um, you've yeah. you've done really well for yourself. What do you attribute your success to? I'd say, first and foremost, it nothing can be achieved without less one dollar's blessing, and I think my parents have reiterated that from a young age that whenever an achievement has been happened, yes, you put in the hard work to achieve it, but without less one dollar's blessing, that would never come about. Um, and genuinely, I think it's people's du'as. Like I, touching back to that that sliding doors moment in my life, I, I genuinely believe that it was it was people's du'as and having faith that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is the greatest of all planners, 
and that what needs to work out in your best interest will. If you could go back in time and change something because it didn't work out right or you know, it was a mistake you've made, what would be that one big thing that you change? I think it's really having courage to clearly show who I am as a person and my beliefs as a person. I think early days, um, I wouldn't say I was hiding it, but at no point was I trying to publicly showcase that, hey, I'm Muslim, I'm, you know, what, for lack of a better word, different. And I think that going through the process now, I've realized that we are a billion plus people in the world, mm. right? So there's, we should never think that we're different, right? People need to realize that all of us are different and it's through our differences that makes us great as a community. So I think really what I'd want to tell my past self is embrace who you are because people will respect you for doing so um, and overcoming that fear and lack of confidence to do so. So when you're not at work, where do I find you? Probably on a sporting ground, to be honest. Mm. Um, I think my biggest passion is probably football. Um, and I just love playing, whether it's indoor, whether it's outdoor, whether it's training. Um, that's what probably gives me the greatest release from everything outside of work. Um, spending time with my mates, it's, it's largely social. Um, and then having that sort of competitive element, um, I think I'm... When it comes to sport, quite a competitive person. So it, br- it brings that side out of me and it gets it out of my system, I think, to an extent. It has a massive impact on mental health for me um, for a number of reasons. I think there's obviously the scientific evidence behind the release of endorphins when you do exercise. Um, so one, you, I, I really enjoy that aspect of it. You're you know, running around, getting that sort of natural high, as they sort of mm. say it. But I think the big thing is because I... Sp- often play with my friends the biggest aspect of it is having dinner or spending a little bit of time with them afterwards catching up with them making sure those connections are strong because when you're struggling with anything they are often the people that you i I tend to reach out to Mm. most so having that regular connection with them really helps me um in in my day-to-day mental health it sort of puts things into perspective um, particularly when there's, you know, we often have first world problems. So just sort of stepping back, stepping away from that, getting your mind off it, um, talking to them about it, it makes a, m- a massive difference to, to my mental health. Let's change tracks a little bit. You're working from home these days, right? Yeah. How is that going for you? I personally love it. Um, and I think a big part of that compared to the other people I work with is not having kids. So life... It's quite easy in that respect. For me personally, what I've found, and particularly was evident during Ramadan, um, was this was a lot of people were like, you know, they're like, I didn't enjoy the fact that we were in lockdown. But for me, I thought that I had one of the most blessed Ramadans in my in my life because one, I was never scrambling to pray namaz. I was like prompt every single time. Like, I actually had time to do proper ibadah this year. It wasn't, oh, I need to run home from work and try to run to Tarawih sort of thing. And, you know, you still had the the other stresses. I felt so relaxed, so calm, and I felt like I got so much more out of 
Ramadan this year purely because I was working from home. And even though we didn't, I didn't have the sort of nightly going to pray Tarawih in the mosque, I was able to pray it at home and still, I thought, get a, a plenty of sort of spiritual um, healing and enlightenment that I was looking for during the month of Ramadan. And one thing that this year was great for me was I always used to say I'm going to do the six fast for Shawal. And for whatever reason, you know, you get through Ramadan and you're like, you're back at work. You, it, it just never really happened for me. But this year I was like, you know what? I have every opportunity to do this. Um, and Alhamdulillah managed to do all, all six of them. It took me longer than I thought it would. It probably took like 12 days rather than the eight or so days that I was aiming to do it within. Um, but what was really helpful during all of that period was talking to other people about it. And I was able to encourage a couple of other friends to do something similar. And I think big credit goes to actually my barber of all people who said to me, hey, brother, we need to motivate each other to do it. And once we did it, he was like, now that we've done it, we can never go back. Yeah. Right. Because we always want to be going forward. We always want to be improving. And so having had that experience, um, it's going to help, inshallah, for the future years. And I think that working from home will help with all of this, um, even if it's two days a week or three days a week. Having that balance in life is really important because sometimes when you're in the office, you know, there are days where you, you start to get to the end of like prayer time and meetings come up and it's not that easy. Whereas when you're at home, you can just turn your phone off, yeah. turn your laptop off, spend 15 minutes, pray Zohar, pray Asr. Block off your calendar. Block Exactly. And I think that for me has been a game changer. And I think it will be a game changer for a lot of other people. Um, and that I'm very much looking forward to continuing to do, particularly Jummah. Like, I don't mind going into the city and praying, but it's always hard. Like, you know, you might you might just be running five minutes late and then the Jamaat gets it's packed, right? It's always so rushed in the city. It's, yeah. Like, you don't get to enjoy it and the khutbahs are so quick and fast. Yeah, and, well, you've got to fit like three salats in. And all you're thinking about is that I have a meeting up next. Exactly. Like, can I, am I going to make it back in time? Exactly. And I think that having that working from home time, it's super easy to mm. just put a, like, when particularly when you put a block in for two hours, Go to Juma, come back. No one puts anything in your diary then. You have enough time. You you sort of get that Friday spiritual like refresher for the week. And then you, you know, you head into the weekend, I think, on a positive, positive note. So for me personally, love working from home and I hope it continues going forward. Do you think we'll ever return to the way we worked in the offices after this whole pandemic settles down? I certainly hope not. And Oh, look, I think some of the people like the FaceTime and there's certain industries where that's, um, I think, comes with the work that you do. Um, but I think the companies that we all want to work for and they're the ones that are going to, the ones that will be successful are the ones that are going to embrace change and the ones that are going to want to listen to their staff and sort of understand what they want to do. Um, and I think having spoken to the majority of my peers, they all want that balance in their life. How do you continually improve yourself be that professionally or islamically for me personally i like to read as much as i can so i try to within the course of a week learn new things mm. so it can be as simple as reading something on wikipedia and broadening your knowledge 
all of that sort of helps your sort of overall growth and development. I think what I learned, particularly in the last few years, is that each of us is on a different sort of journey, whether that's professionally, whether that's spiritually. I think the main thing is to keep going, to not lose sight of where you want to end up. Um, And even if it's small steps early, I think particularly from a religious standpoint, one of the things that my my dad always used to say to me was um, make just the near to go Mm. closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you'll see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it easy. The hardest bit is making the intention to, to go on that path. And I think likewise with anything professionally related too, you just have to try to do something and you'll see that you're capable of doing so much. And a lot of people will say, oh, I'm time poor. But when we actually get to the crux of it, it's because we don't often, and myself included, there are times where you don't just utilize your time efficiently. And once you learn to do that, you realize, actually, I have so much time in the day to pursue the kinds of things that I should be pursuing and want to be pursuing. So really, it's for me, it's just continually refreshing what I want to get out, whether it's Islamically, whether it's professionally, just revisiting those goals and then slowly working towards them. What are your tips for a successful career and a successful life? I'm, I'm still figuring it out myself, but what I'll, I'll try to share what I've learned and what has helped me improve and try to get towards the more contentment that I think we all sort of look for. I think the first thing that I think is critical is really being true to yourself. So really trying to figure out who you are as a person, what your personal goals are, what your personal beliefs are, really understanding them and then working towards them. So even if it's small steps, but really from a career perspective, do something that makes you happy. Right? Don't go and chase the dollars, chase barakah, right? And that often comes from you being content and being happy and pursuing a career that you enjoy and want to make a difference in. And likewise, from a spiritual and Islamic point of view, take those Take that journey towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It can be at a different pace to everyone. It can be slow. It can be faster. But just keep moving on that journey and you'll see the sort of consistent improvement. So I, I see that um, people are often in a sort of competition to, to get as fast as possible to it. I think just take a step back. Forget about every single other person around you. Don't compare yourself. I know it's hard to do because we humans, we tend to do that. What I've learned to do is be happy for your brothers and sisters who are doing better. Help your brothers and sisters that are doing, that you may think they're doing not as good as you. But really just focus on yourself, set your goals and slowly work towards them. And I found, particularly from an Islamic point of view, the more I try, the easier it becomes and it's i keep thinking about what my parents have always said to me around just making the intention and putting in the effort and it just gets easier and you realize how how much opportunity and how much time you actually have to do so um the other thing that i've learned a lot and particularly i think a lot from my grandfather is being grateful i think that's a hard thing to do but 
if the people that are listening to this and the people that are in Australia particularly, we are so blessed. It's, it's incomprehensible, right? Alhamdulillah, we have food on our tables. We have a roof over our heads. We are in a better position than the majority of the world. And it's what you really need to do is just be grateful that you have all that and not think just, oh, getting a bit bogged down in, I need to get this, I need to get this next thing. Because once you get that next thing, then it's on to the next thing. So really it's, and I think true contentment comes from having that gratefulness that whatever Allah has given me, that's what is in my um, risk. And Allah is the greatest of all planners and your path is set out for you. So you can either be not so content and keep trying to fight the tide and and not be happy or you can be grateful and i think that your state of mind will be different everything becomes easier and you have a much more positive outlook on life you know the prophet sallam said if allah is to give man gold worth mount uhud he'd ask for another one yeah. just never it's, have it it's, no and and you see that right like Every time someone gets something, they want the next thing. And I think that that true contentment really comes from being comfortable in who you are, being having faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's, that, I think, is those are the key ingredients, I think. And that's something I'm still working on and trying to get better at. And all of the things I've said, they're things that I'm trying to work on so that I get that as much contentment as possible in my life as well. That's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Jazakallah khair for tuning in and giving us your time. Till next time, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.